is The Next Trip Podcast with Aviation Insiders Doug and Drew. Together, with more than 40 years of industry experience, they are creating a network for other app geeks and travel enthusiasts to obsess about all things aviation. All thoughts and opinions are their own. Good day and welcome to Boarding Pass 145, operating on September 5th, 2022. This is Drew, an airline ops manager and private pilot trainee. And I'm here with my buddy Doug, an airline pilot and super dad this week because school is starting. <laughs> uh, we're here to discuss aviation topics from an industry insider's perspective. Doug, you mentioned after looking at today's outline that it was nice to not have any COVID or airline scheduling disaster stories. So everyone get ready for the feel good episode, which will kick off with your first flight to what you called Efred, <laughs> which I guess, which I guess is how the Brits say it. For everyone else in the world, it's in English. It's London Heathrow. <laughs> how was Efred? <laughs> I think we we need to explain the backstory that I, te- yeah, is, I that I texted you that uh, as I was leaving the hotel. I said, "All right, I'm off to Efred," and I spelled it out E E F R O W. Yeah. <laughs> But did you just come up with that? Because that is the way some of them pronounce it. Is, yeah, because I, I heard people say Efro while I was there. And I, I was like, oh, how do I type that? Oh, yeah. Let, let me let me type it out and say that's where I'm headed right now. Yeah. And you get to add in it. They always say that like, hey, long ride to Efro in it. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it, I guess. <laughs> to our British listeners, we're, we're not making fun of you. We're, we're no. trying to be like you because we love that accent. And the ability to be able to actually type out that accent just up things to the next level. <laughs> so we, yeah, we're multilingual. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, the, the trip was great. I, I got called on reserve for this Heathrow trip, which was awesome. I've, I've been to London before, first time with the company. It's been five years since I was in London. I had a blast here. I, the, the flight over was great. The flight home was great, but I walked almost 13 miles how you were saying around London, so, it was yeah, it was great. It was twenty five thousand steps. Yeah, it was almost twenty five thousand steps. It was it was awesome. One of my kids' favorite, both the kids' favorite movies is Paddington. It's a kid's story about a bear named after Paddington Station. We were staying about a mile from the station, and we we watched the movie the other night before I left for the trip. That out like it, we had already planned to watch that movie when I got the oh, when crazy. I got the trip to Efro. <laughs> so I told the kids, well, I'll, I'll walk up to Paddington Station, get some photos. They actually have a, a plaque for the movie, and they have a little bear, a bronze bear statue. Got pictures with that. They have a store inside the train station that's all just Paddington memorabilia and things. So I brought some stuff back for the kids. But, Drew, I, I, I forgot how much I love train stations. Train, not in the U.S. U.S. train stations are dull. They're drab. They're dead. They're getting better. Not, getting they better. are getting better. Denver has a great one. Some mm-hmm. some in New York are, are really good. D.C. has a good one. But mm-hmm. but beyond mm-hmm. yeah, but but beyond that, European train stations are so vibrant and they're so much fun. I found this little pub with a window overlooking the tracks, and I sat and had a couple beers, and I just watched everyone coming. Like I people watched. I watched all these yeah. people coming and going, all these regional trains that were leaving, and it was a blast. It, it's like, it, in a way, it's like sitting in an airport. You're right. wondering what the people's stories are. Wh- where are they going? Where are they coming from? What What are they doing? And you just sit and you watch. And I, I watched for probably a good hour just sitting at the yeah. train station watching people. Well, London is amazing. It's, it's a crossroads, whether it's the airport or the train station. There's all kinds of people there. It's so vibrant. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you were talking about uh, walking. I did the same thing. I, I rarely took the tube because I looked at where I was going to. Yeah. 
all the interesting things like between Kensington Park and Piccadilly Circus. I'm like, I'm just going to walk. And that was the best decision ever because you get some exercise yeah. and you London is full of interesting things. Yeah. And there's, you know, if you need a break, there's a pub on every corner. It, it was it was awesome. We, we stayed about two miles from Parliament. And I, I walked over there, got a beer. We can post a photo of Big Ben in the background with this beer at, at this pub right by Parliament. And on the way home, it was funny because I, I was messaging with you guys and you were talking about how Lara, who we've had on the show, the flight attendant, that London is her loves. favorite city. She loves the Royals. She loves Buckingham Palace. You guys texted that just as I walked past and I took a picture That's of it crazy. and I sent it to you and I said, is, like, is, it, this? is it this? Asking for a friend. <laughs> and you guys at first thought that I was serious. And I was like, oh, yeah. of course I know. But if, if I had taken the tube, I, I would have gotten on at my hotel, gotten off at Parliament. I would have missed walking through the parks. I would have missed walking past Parliament. I, I would have missed all of that. And it was, it, it's just so much fun walking around a city like London. Because you can go, yeah. you can go ten times, and you see something different every single time. Every single time, yeah, absolutely. Arriving at London, that was a little unusual because the flights from North America are usually landing on two seven right. That's right next to the hotels and where all the spotters are. Mm-hmm. You landed on nine left in the opposite direction, so I guess the winds were were different from how they normally. Are. Yeah, and our friends were saying it was that way the day prior, and then when we left the next day, we took off on nine right. The for whatever reason that that week or those mm. few days the winds must have been out of the east and, and we were landing and departing to the east. Well, the good thing is that puts you right at our gates. It did. It was a thirty second taxi. It it was literally right off the runway and and we talked to ground and ground said okay straight ahead of your gate good day and that that was it and it, it made for an awesome taxi because if if we had taken off on two seven right. It would have been a, a minute, two minute taxi to leave mm-hmm. on Wednesday sure. or Tuesday. Yeah, on Tuesday. But because we were taking off on nine right, it was a good 15, 20 minute taxi past all the Virgin gates, past all the British Airways gates, past all of everyone's gates. I saw we, we followed a BA A380, saw a Qantas A380, saw a bunch of our airplanes, saw a bunch of... Like, I, all different tails, and it was it was cool. And I was sitting in the IRO position, so I was in the jump seat, where I'm I'm my 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 sole responsibility is to just clear, basically mm-hmm. look out the window and make sure we're not going to hit anything. So for 15, 20 minutes taxiing out to the runway, I was an av geek. I, like I'm watching to make sure that we're not going to hit all these airplanes, and that's my that is my only responsibility is to just is to just oogle over all of these airplanes at Heathrow on the taxi out. How did your three-hour nap work going and coming back? Because we were on a 200, a 777-200, the 300 has the bunk up top. The 200 has a little, I call it a sleeping closet. Not enough room in there to even sit up and eat a meal. Because of that, we get a business class seat in the back as well. I didn't go in the bunk at all. I, I took took both of my rest breaks going and coming in the business class seat on the way home i it was four and a half hour break i want to say i got some of the best sleep i've ever had in an airplane seat in that seat i slept for a good three three hours i was out cold can i tell you what that was from why why that it was from the the walking it's from the walk yeah i'm telling you and i was i was so refreshed when i when i woke up and it was my turn to fly yeah Mm -hmm. no that's great all right anything else on that trip no 
I, I, hopefully I can get back to Efro soon because, <laughs> because there are a lot of other things that I want to see. <laughs> Listeners, if you want us to stop saying that, go ahead and comment. Because <laughs> this might be one of the Efro. You know how you hate it when I say SFO? I kind of hate Efro. That's like <laughs> the chalkboard and the name. <laughs> All right. Speaking of SFO, <laughs> I will be filling in for shift manager at SFO on uh, September 13th. And, you know, we have this where if one of the hubs, they have their staff going on an offsite meeting, they'll ask people from the other hubs to come and sit in for them. I have not done that before. But when they asked at SFO, I'm like, wait a minute, I want to do that because it will be like coming full circle because I was the kid who was five years old watching planes take off with my dad at runway one right, watching our airline mostly because that's that was the hub there, 747s, DC-10s. And now I'm going to be the shift manager of SFO for that day. Yeah, that's going to so be So I'm awesome. like, I have to do this. I'm really looking forward to that. You know, my first airline job was in that terminal where we spotted F10, mm-hmm. lower level. That was my first airline job. I finally figured out the gate. So if you're listening, if you're at SFO, go to gate F10 and just find a quiet seat. It's usually very few people there. You'll find like some random av geeks like us. Airplanes come by really close and you can watch the takeoffs on the two eights and the landings. It's amazing. So go check it out. I, can I just say something? You started yeah. at Express down on tarmac level yeah. and now you are going to be running the operation up on the third floor with the windows, the sprawling view of the apron and everything. Yeah. T- talk about, like you said, not, not just coming full circle, but upgrading to where, where you're going to be on that day. Well, full circle, but where were we a couple weeks ago watching planes? That was where I started at Bayshore. Wait, let me say this right. It's Bayshore Boulevard, or is it Bayshore Highway? Because Aaron will correct us. (laughs) All right, and the other thing, also SFO-related, my mom's here from SFO. So she came for her birthday. She flew on her birthday. And, you know, sometimes our airline does really good stuff. And I don't know how it was her birthday. I think the gate agent mentioned it to the crew during the flight. They all came to her, wished her happy birthday, wrote her a card, gave her several glasses of champagne or whatever we're calling champagne. <laughs> sparkling wine. Or sparkling wine. <laughs> it, it, or it's, not from, or whatever. it's not from the Prosecco. champagne from the champagne region, so it can't be, yeah, it can't be so. called that. <laughs> she was she was really happy and she was really lucky, uh, Doug, because I worked in the morning so that I could leave the airport with her. We had a massive line of thunderstorms go through. Twenty four of our flights diverted to other stations. But hers got in. Mm-hmm. And I think it's because hers was coming in later and the storm had cleared. So they didn't really use up a lot of fuel circling. I think they did some spins. She said that uh, the captain was saying a few more minutes and they may have to divert to Pittsburgh. Good for the captain, though, to convey that information to the passengers. Yeah. And, and that way they're not wondering what's going on. Yeah, it yeah. probably raises the stress when they hear they might divert especially if they have international connections or something. But being able to give the passengers that information is uh, is really good customer service. No, really good customer service. And nothing against Pittsburgh, but spending the birth- her birthday at an airport terminal in Pittsburgh would not have been great. And those diversions are rarely ever fast when there's so many of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you said she would spend her birthday at the airport in Pittsburgh. But what did you do with her today for her birthday celebration? You took her to get global entry. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> happy birthday, mom! Here, let's go. Yeah. Sit, let's go sit at the border. Well, that's border. part of her present. <laughs> that's her present. So she's going to have ease of travel going through. You know, through Is that her fir- now. First time. Her first time getting global entry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's game changer for her. Ha- happy, yeah, ha- happy birthday! Definitely. Yeah, best. <laughs> 
best present ever. I mean, she'll realize when she starts using it. But yeah, I mean, it's very hard for those of you that are listening that are trying to get a global entry interview. It's so hard. And it wasn't available at SFO. It's her birthday. Come here. We can make it a whole event. So just a, a quick PSA. Do it on entry. Uh, anyone who is waiting on an interview and looks and, and doesn't see an interview for a, a year at, at your location, at most of the customs facilities in the U.S., you yeah. can do your interview on entry. You might have to wait about an hour like I did. You just mm-hmm. fill your name in, sit on a bench, and they'll call you. And then as long as you are pre-approved when, when you do your online application, if you get the pre-approval notification saying that you can schedule your interview, if you can't find an interview, do your trip, come back and do it on, on entry. It's easy. You and I have it. And it, it, we have made flights thanks to having that that uh, TSA pre-check. Mm-hmm. All right, Doug, I want to get back to flight one. So you were on your flight SFO to LHR actually has a really long legacy. And yours was flight 901. That carries the legacy of Pan Am's flight one, which flew San Francisco to London Heathrow in the 90s. I've told you the story before the listeners when I worked when at that first airline job, it was an express carrier. And there was one of our ramp rampers or ramp leads. Every time Pan Am flight one would take off, he would have to announce it. <laughs> when that plane took off, he'd be like, Flight one off. We had nothing to do with that flight. It wasn't our airline. But (laughs) Pan Am and that flight had such a legacy. And there was like so much significance to that that everyone was like, yay. (laughs) (laughs) And then it changed from Pan Am to our airline. And then it wasn't as big anymore because it wasn't flight one anymore. Mm -hmm. This has a long legacy even beyond that flight, Pan Am flight one, which was a 747. So Pan Am used to use flight number one and two as designations on their round the world services back in 1947. Yeah. And check out this routing that we would have both loved to have taken on flight one. Pan Am one on June 17th, 1947 operated on a Lockheed constellation 749 named Clipper America. She departed from New York's LaGuardia airport, stopped in Gander, Shannon, London, Istanbul, Dharan, Karachi, Calcutta, Bangkok, Manila, Shanghai, Tokyo, Guam, Wake Island, Midway, Honolulu, San Francisco, and Chicago before Talk arriving, about a milk run. <laughs> before arriving back in New York. How amazing is that? That is amazing. That That's definitely a prestigious flight, Doug, and we would have loved to take that. I, we've probably broken it up and like stopped in these places. It's flight one, and airlines generally reserve flight one, that designation for their most important flights or their most prestigious flights. Let's see where the flight ones of today are going. Let's start with Singapore Airlines. Singapore Airlines flight one today is a, a flight from Hong Kong to Singapore. It used to be a flight from San Francisco to Hong Kong to Singapore, which my mom would take all the time to mm-hmm. go to Sri Lanka. It would leave in the middle of the night. Lufthansa flight one is a flight from Hamburg to Frankfurt, which seems very nondescript. Yeah. So someone from Lufthansa or someone from Germany, let us know why that route. United flight one is San Francisco, Singapore. I don't know if they did that to so that they and Singapore Airlines had that same flight. Southwest flight one goes from Dallas Love Field to Houston Hobby to CRP Corpus Christi. And they're saying they have that because they want to they want to go back to their roots of being an intra Texas airline. Mm -hmm. So that that kind of maintains good good heritage, good heritage, right? Alaska flight one goes from DCA right here, Washington National to Seattle. And then I have to include this one because this is the only one flight one that goes to Colombo where I was born. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's SG1 Spice Jet flight one goes from 
Madras or Chennai to Colombo. And we got to check on this. Someone was telling me that that is one of the busiest routes in the world. Interesting. So we'll go back and check on that. Okay. It's only like a 50 minute flight. These are awesome. Great research on this route. But wait, there's more. <laughs> ANA flight one goes from Dulles to Narita. JAL flight one goes from San Francisco to Haneda. San Francisco has several flight ones. It does, right? Aero Mexico flight one goes from Mexico to Madrid. Now back to EFRO. <laughs> Heathrow has the <laughs> highest number of flight ones, including Qantas Flight One, which does Sydney, Singapore, Heathrow, Delta Flight One, which does JFK Heathrow, Emirates Flight One, which is Dubai Heathrow, Qatar Flight One, Doha Heathrow, and Malaysia Flight One, which is Heathrow to Kuala Lumpur. Drew, here are some flight ones of your, which are not operating any longer, but had the flight one designation. BA flight one went from London City, or Lucy, as we call it, to Shannon, <laughs> to JFK. It operated pre-COVID and pre-cleared passengers at Shannon on, I believe it was an A319. A3, A3, A318. A318. A318, all mm-hmm. business class configuration yeah. flight one. BA flight one before the Lucy JFK flight. This was one of two Concorde services from Heathrow to JFK. New Zealand flight one was Heathrow to LAX to Auckland. And Air France flight one, also on a Concorde, was Paris Charles de Gaulle to JFK. I would have loved to take, well, we can take the um, Sydney to Singapore to London. That's on an A380 with Qantas. Mm -hmm. I would love to do that one. I I saw it there. You saw it there? Uh Uh-huh. Um, and I would have loved to have done London to Los Angeles to Auckland on uh, Air New Zealand. Yeah, it was it was a sad day. I I can't remember. I think it was pre COVID when Air New Zealand canceled their. We, talk, we talked about we that did. on the show. It was it was pretty early on in our recordings, but we talked about how Air New Zealand was no longer serving London. Yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll be back. They'll get they'll do something like well, you know what? Auckland to London, they probably couldn't even do it with a 787-9. That's a stretch. No, probably not because Project Sunrise, which is what Qantas is is doing, it's a stretch already from London. I I I doubt that they can make it nonstop. Yeah, and you know, they have so many partners with uh the Star Alliance that um their customers can Find several ways to London Heathrow. Mm-hmm. Of of these, which is the one that you most wish that you could do? I, I know you said you would, you would love to do the LA to to Heathrow on Air New Zealand, but of these, yeah. even going back in time, which one is the one that you would most like to do? Oh, I'd love to do Pan Am one in 1947. I, I go back and forth between that and one of the Concorde flights. It, it's a it's a toss up. I know it's two completely different. Mm-hmm. One is low and slow and on a prop, and it takes weeks probably. Yeah. And the other one is three hours on a Concorde, but they, they both are amazing in their own way. Yeah. Do you know that um, when I started with the airlines in the nine, early 90s, non-revs could buy a ticket on the Concorde and it was $800. Oh, that would have totally been worth it. Very few people did it because back then, because that, that was a lot of money, lot. I should have done it. And I also, also should have bought a lifetime club membership, which in the mid 80s, before I worked the airlines, was like $180 mm-hmm. for a lifetime club membership. There's so, those people around. Drew, we talked about Emirates a little bit in the previous segment. Let's stick with Emirates for our first news segment. United and Emirates will have more in common than both having a flight one soon. The airlines announced last Tuesday that they have a special event on September 14th in Washington, D.C. called, quote, Come Fly With Us. It is widely believed to be a code share agreement. Drew, this is big news if it really is code share, because in 2015, Delta, American, and United filed a complaint with the Obama administration about the big three Gulf carriers. 
Emirates, Qatar, and Etihad unfairly selling cheaper tickets because of government subsidies and or lower wages for workers. There's been little action against the Middle East Airlines since this lawsuit was filed. American recently expanded their alliance with Qatar Airways and touts having the only U.S. carrier service to the Gulf with their nonstop JFK Doha flights, which I think they just launched in June. Those are the bullet points. Drew, let's get into the discussion about this. I have a lot of questions. I think that the listeners probably do too and want to hear us talk about it. The first question is, will United restart their own flights to Dubai as they partner with Emirates? Oh, I, I believe they have to because Dubai is the hub. And if you are, have a code share partnership with an airline based in Dubai, just like American, you would think that that would be part of it. I mean, you, you got to get some of that business, some of that traffic directly. It can't just be code share. Just my thoughts. Yeah, I, I, I think that they probably will too. And I think that it this is beneficial for both airlines. I think it's beneficial for United. I think that it's beneficial for Emirates. Why? Beneficial for United because they can get their own metal, their own passengers to Dubai without any sort of blockade or, or anything, because it seems like tensions between ME3 and the US airlines are thawing now at this point. And it also frees up Emirates to not have to run as many daily services to some of these cities. Mm-hmm. Because Emirates is running two or three daily A380s to San Francisco. Now, if United does San Francisco, Dubai on a triple or a seven, eight, now Emirates can take one of those A380s and use it on something else because A380s right now, Emirates is stretched thin. We, we didn't talk a couple weeks ago about how Tim Clark said he wishes that Airbus could reopen the A380 line because mm-hmm. Emirates now all of a sudden thinks that they need more after everything that we went through with COVID. Right. Having United run flights from their hubs to Dubai would allow Emirates to use those airplanes on different routes then. You're giving up one of those frequencies to another carrier, but that carrier is bringing you hundreds of connections to your other flights. Do you know why I think United needs this right now? United does not have as big of a share of the Gulf market as it should. United is a very global airline, big in Asia, big in Europe, not big in the Middle East. I personally, I think it's beyond the Middle East. I think it's India. United was big in India prior to the Ukraine conflict. And now with the Russian airspace shut down, there Mm. are very few flights that United can actually make work to India. And that is a huge segment of United's international flights historically that now that they can't run. This is a way for United to be able to still continue to get their passengers to India, albeit maybe not the whole way on their own metal but part of the way, run them through Dubai, and then Emirates yeah. can carry them onward to India. I just had a thought. United could dust off Flight 1 again. When United had a round-trip Flight 1, it was a 747. It flew from Washington, Dulles, to London Heathrow, to New Delhi, to Hong Kong, to LAX, I believe, and back to Washington. You could do that, but stop in Dubai. And it would be completely workable if the Emirates offers United... Fifth Freedom to mm-hmm. get from Dubai to India, perhaps, yeah, or from Dubai to Tokyo or Hong yeah, Kong, Tokyo. yeah, so, something yeah. like that. Yeah, that that's that's a great point. Now you you put this right. Will this upset Turkish? I think it will, <laughs> because Turkish and Emirates, I'm sure they're 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 
they're their worst enemies, right? Yeah. Because they're in the same area. They're, they're competing right. for the for the same flows, and and Turkish and Emirates are some two of the some of the largest airlines in the world. In fact, it, at Heathrow the other day, I, I sent you the picture of that Emirates A380 model, mm-hmm. perfectly timed because they have a giant A380 model. I, we're talking like a building size mm-hmm. saying fly Emirates to Dubai from London, and I, I joked, I wonder how much Emirates paid Heathrow to put that model there and and how much BA and Virgin dislike it. But it was, it was perfectly timed because when I landed from Heathrow that day, that was when I had the notification about this United and Emirates possible tie up. And it was like, as I saw the day that I saw that model and I was talking about it, but Turkish is a big partner with United being in, in, Star Alliance, this might really irk Turkish. I think it would, um, because some of their some of the United customers are going to be connecting on Emirates. But Doug, this is huge. This is a classic story of if you can't beat them, join them. There's been no action from their 2015 complaint to the DOT about these carriers. They're going the other way around. You know, yeah. let's if we can't beat them, let's take some of their passengers. Yeah. I think it's great. You also said, will Emirates join Star Alliance? Mm-hmm. Is Qatar part of One World? Qatar is part of One World. Then I could see Emirates probably joining Star Alliance. And then where does that leave Etihad? I think we, we can we can surmise where Etihad goes. Here, here's my thought. I don't think that Emirates will join Star Alliance. The reason being, they have a lot of partnerships with other airlines that are outside of Star. They may not have to give that up if they did join, but they, they, might, they, they might rather be that independent player with more of these bilateral agreements with different airlines think Aer Lingus Aer Lingus is owned by IAG but they're not part of One World think Latam Latam is now partially owned by Delta and they have said that they probably won't join Sky Team anytime soon Virgin Atlantic is 49% owned by Delta they're part of the Air France KLM Delta joint venture across the Atlantic they're not joining Sky Team they're staying independent I, I think that I could see Emirates saying we would rather have these bilateral agreements with all these different airlines as yeah. opposed to joining an alliance. That, that's my thought. Because they probably have enough of their own traffic that they don't need to join an alliance. They can have these partnerships. Correct. But you didn't answer my question. Where where does Etihad go? I it, Well, that, that was one of the questions that I wrote too. <laughs> I, it, it makes sense that Etihad will end up with Delta. And yeah. I, I think that another reason why United did this now Etihad is a great airline, but they're small. And, and there's small. been talk about Etihad and Emirates possibly merging. We, we've talked about it a couple times over yeah. the last couple of years. I, th- I think that United looked at this from a strategic standpoint. Like, like you said, if you can't beat them, join them. Because if mm-hmm. Delta struck first, United would be the one who was left out then. Because American has the, the big partner in Doha with Qatar. And if Delta snagged up Emirates, that would leave United with a much smaller more up in the air question mark etihad and if delta if delta does end up going with etihad the next question i would have is how would saudia feel about that because you know saudia, saudia, i don't think that they care i really don't think i i, I don't think that they care i don't see them being a big competitor in the middle east they're trying having... to be though they're 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 saying that they want to become the me4 they're, they're saying yeah. they, they want to be that next big player in the region I, I just don't see it. I don't see it in the marketing. I don't see it. You know, you don't see billboards. I see a sign at Washington Dulles. But how many people go to the airport, you know, to they're already chosen their airline. Etihad and United would have been interesting because do you know what Etihad means in Arabic? United. It means United. So that would have been a good partnership. But I think United is the big winner here because now that airline will have access to Dubai. 
which of, of those cities, Doha, Dubai, and Abu Dhabi, where Etihad is, Dubai is the center. Dubai is, Dubai is the New York, mm-hmm. if, if you will, of, of the Middle East. I want to fast forward to your ITA story because that's, that's kind of it's, related. It's timely. Mm-hmm. So yeah. let's, let's talk about that. This just came out today. Italy has chosen Delta slash Air France KLM and private equity firm Sertaris to take over their national airline, ITA, which was formed after Alitalia shut down. So this private equity firm, Sertaris, would control 40 to 45 percent. Those airline partners would control the rest. The Italian government would have two of five board seats, and they would have veto power on who would be president, and they'd also have veto power on other strategic decisions. This consortium beat out an MSC, MSC of the, the cruise lines, MSC and Lufthansa bid for the airline. This injection of capital and the addition of partners with strong networks, it's going to be a big boon to ITA, which is trying to get their, their grounding. Well, we talked about this a couple months ago, where I think we guessed and, and said who would be best for ITA. And if I remember correctly, I, I think that we, we both said, yeah, it would be great for Lufthansa, but Lufthansa doesn't need ITA the way that Air France and KLM need ITA because Air France KLM is the smallest of, of the, the big uh, ownership groups in Europe, mm. if, if you can call it that, with mm. IAG, oh, right. Air France KLM, and, and Lufthansa Group. Now with Delta in the mix, and it, it makes sense because Delta, Air France, KLM had always been, or at least for the last 15, 20 years, been really close partners with Alitalia. So to me, it, it just, it makes the most sense because yes, ITA is a brand new airline and operating certificate and livery, but mm-hmm. it's Alitalia employees, Alitalia routes, Alitalia airplanes, that that made more sense to me to have Delta, Air France, KLM be the ultimate winner of this ownership group. No, I think it's great. And you know, these, these alliances, I think they're going to increase competition because you're going to have a strong one world. You're going to have a strong, what is their partnership again? It's a uh, sky team, <laughs> but we don't know if they're going to join sky team, but they might. Who? ITA. No, they're in sky team. They're in sky team already. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that will make sky team stronger. And you know, when, once, when you have, once you have part ownership in an airline, now you're invested in their success. Yeah. This is great news for ITA. For the listeners, Doug was rapid firing me news stories this morning. Everything's out there now. So we're going to go a little bit out of order than we discussed. Let, let's go to the Taiwan eight, um, 787 story, which is great news for everyone. More good news, Drew. Taiwan's China Airlines ordered 16 Boeing 787-9s with options on a further eight. The airline plans to replace its medium capacity A330-300s with the 787s, which are convertible, some of the orders are convertible to 787-10s. Drew, this is this is a boon for Boeing. This is a huge win for Boeing because China Airlines is both an Airbus and a Boeing operator, and they could have easily gone with the A330neo to replace their aging A330s. Instead, they're bringing in a completely new fleet type with the Boeing 787. Mm-hmm. Big win for Boeing, big for China Airlines, showing that they are looking to grow going forward. I don't know if you read, though, that it's raising the, the possibility of some, some further tensions between Taiwan and, and China, though, and mainland China, because what I was reading about this order, China still has not approved the MAX to return to service. Uh, okay. And with Taiwan saying we don't want to be part of China, China mm-hmm. saying we Taiwan is part of China, and, and yeah. we know that there was this live fire exercise or live fire drill a couple of weeks ago. We talked about Speaker Pelosi's visit, all of that. Mm-hmm. A lot of analysts are saying China may not look favorably on Boeing now because Boeing 
was the one who sold the airplanes to what China feels is part of their own. Oh, got it. Okay, I was going to try and see where you were going with this. Okay, so they sold to Taiwan, so now China's mad at Boeing. At Boeing, correct. China Airlines has had both Boeing and Airbus, so if China's mad, they should have already been mad because China Airlines has a lot of Boeings. What was China Airlines supposed to do? Order the Comac? Yeah, exactly. No (laughs) No one's ordering that. But... Doug, can I tell you why this is huge? It's only 16 airplanes, which for Asia isn't huge, but I fly to Asia a lot. And the workhorse of Asia, of those medium-sized routes within Asia, is the A330-300. So I'm flying a Sri Lankan A330 from Delhi to Colombo. I flew a Singapore A330 from Singapore to Colombo. All around that region, the big trunk regional routes between the capitals, a lot of A330-300s. Is the 787-9 now going to take that market, which is huge? Singapore Airlines, it, they have already, it seems like they're already transitioning to the 787 because their 787-10 missions are mostly regional. Regional. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, their business class is not as, it's more of a region. It's really nice. It's lie flat, but it's not as nice as on the A350s, which go very long range. Is the 787-9, is that going to be the mainstay? for Southeast Asia, taking over the A330-300. Yeah. Hopefully. Well, and ANA and, and JAL still operate 767s on regional routes in Asia right. and, and some Hawaii flights. What, will they order more 78s as the 76s get retired? That That's a big question too. You know, it's really interesting because we talk about how the A350 is winning orders that the 777-9 would have gotten if it was flying. The secret weapon is a 787 because the A330 would be considered outdated now. Even the A330-900, the NEO, was still based on an A330-300. It's about the same size. The NEO is underperforming, too, from from an order standpoint, not, not yeah. from an economics of the airplane standpoint. Let's take a step back. Let's go to my world now, or my new world of general aviation. I'm learning to fly on a Cessna 172 Skyhawk with a Garmin G1000 glass cockpit. Our buddy Greg said, now I can be like you, Doug. Since I, one of them flew from California to Honolulu nonstop. <laughs> yeah. And I guess the only difference between your 777 and my Cessna Skyhawk would be I would have a better GPS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you forgot that you'd spend 13 more hours in the air than I do going from California to Honolulu. Let's look at this 18-hour nonstop Cessna flight. Ferry pilot Tom Lopez flew a Cessna C-172 from Merced in California's Central Valley to Honolulu. The 172 has 53 gallons of fuel capacity, which could take it 600 nautical miles in ideal conditions. This flight had an extra gas tank in the cabin, holding another 157 gallons of fuel to make the 2,500 nautical mile journey to Hawaii. Lopes has been doing ferry flights of similar length since 1988, so this isn't something new. His cruising speed was between 113 and 130 knots, and he flew as high as 10,000 feet to take advantage of the tailwinds. The cost of flying the aircraft to Hawaii was similar to having it disassembled and shipped. However, there is a risk of damage or parts not coming together while on reassembly of an older airplane. Drew, he's been doing this for years. He puts a special, it's actually a delivery company. It was to a flight school in Hawaii, and they were the ones who were tracking it. They're the ones who tweeted about it, and that's why I got all this attention. And he landed and said he was surprised by the attention because this is no different than what he always does. He puts a he puts a high frequency radio in so he can make the position reports. Yeah. But for whatever reason, 
social media blew this thing up and everyone is like, oh my gosh, what's this doing? He's been doing it for 25, almost well, 30 years, 30 plus years. I didn't realize that you could do this. So someone sent an image on FlightAware or Flight Radar 24 of this Cessna in the middle of the Pacific Ocean going from Merced to Honolulu. And of course, you take a double take and you're like, oh, what? And I think Kelly Lepley retweeted. I mean, it just takes a few retweets and then it's like a, it's like a forest fire. It's a big story. He said that he landed with like an hour and a half left of gas. Like it, he wasn't worried about it at all. It, it seemed like just a normal thing for him. Well, yeah. And to be honest, that G, I don't, I don't keep talking about it. This, this company's not sponsoring us, by the way. <laughs> this G1000 glass cockpit with 10 hours of flying experience, I could fly that thing to Hawaii. Because it would just tell me exactly where to go. I would definitely make sure your seatbelt is tight for landing, but we'll probably make it. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for entertaining us with that foray into general aviation. Let's get back to commercial aviation. This is a go-around from last week where we shot the breeze, which we're really good at, <laughs> without a lot of information, on high-wing and low-wing aircraft. Our question was, why are airliners almost all low-wing aircraft? We didn't find one definitive reason, but we found several reasons, and they make a lot of sense. Doug? True. Last week, we came up with the engine maintenance being easier on a low-wing aircraft, but here's some other interesting reasons for this configuration. A low-wing allows for longer landing gear that can stow in the wing route. Longer gear makes stretched versions of aircraft needing more takeoff ground clearance possible. Think the 737-900, the 757-300, 777-300, etc., you stretch it, you need a you need a higher gear. You need a higher gear. It's very defined on the 767-400. And I send you pictures. Mm-hmm. It's like it's on stilts. You see the nose tilts a little bit. Yeah, because if it was high wing, you'd have to find a place to put those. And you're going to end up bumping out the fuselage with like fairings. And, yeah, the, you know, think C-17, C-5. It, it's got the, the fairings that... You ha- and you have a lot of extra gear because you can't really have the, the long stilts. And then you have a lot of extra drag mm-hmm. from that. Yeah, exactly. The landing gear stowing in the wings is also more aerodynamic than having bulges in the fuselage to house the gear like we just talked about. It also doesn't take away interior space with a wing spar passing through the top of the passenger cabin. Think Jetstream 31 where the wing yeah. spar down right. on the bottom cuts through the cabin. Or if you've ever been on a C-130, you see the wing spar up top. That would cut down on overhead bin space, lots of electrics and, and hydraulics and air and everything runs up top and, and you yeah. lose that space. It also provides some safety considerations in the event of a crash. The low wing would absorb the impact first before the passenger cabin floor. A low wing is also safer in the case of a water landing with the fuselage sitting higher than the wings. Another reason is a low wing may give passengers a feeling of calm seeing the wings supporting them from below. And the final one is it's easier to fuel, which helps on quick turns. And we did mention that last week. It's a lot of stuff. It is. And, you know, the airlines, when they had the high wing planes, like the Ford Trimotor was high wing. And a lot of the older planes were high wing. So when the airlines were bringing out these low wing planes, they they marketed it as a modern design, so to speak. So it's also considered a more modern design to have the wing, the wing low. So now we know. It it makes sense. That makes me wonder why the BAE-146 went with the high wing, why the Dornier 328, why the Dash 8, why the ATR, why all of those went with the high wing instead of the low wing. I bet it's because that uh, 146 was also marketed to airlines, possibly in Africa or in India, where the fields weren't 100% uh, cement or asphalt, and they could still operate. Mm -hmm. On, On partially paved or unpaved fields because yeah. the engines are higher it makes sense yeah because it was designed as a short field 
landing aircraft. Mm -hmm. Have you flown that plane? Uh huh. Yeah, quite a few times yeah. on Northwest. I don't remember. I don't remember a wing spar going. You know, I don't remember anything different on the the, the ceiling. Yeah, overhead, I, I can't remember. It, it was probably hidden somehow, but they probably lost some sort of ability to put some things up top on that. Yeah, I mean, we're going on a tangent, but at the express carrier I worked for, we had BA 146s. It was our jumbo jet. Yeah. So it was like a big it four, the four engine, the, the big airplane. Yeah. To fly from San Francisco to Fresno, which was our hubs in <laughs> <laughs> our wide body, which was the 146. And it, it was pretty cool for a regional plane to look outside and see two engines on the wings. And I mean, it was as comfortable as a 737. Yeah, oh, it, was, it was a great passenger experience. That explains why we uh, like the wings down under. We also like our listeners down under. Uh, Sorry, I, I didn't have a lot. Of <laughs> <laughs> and we, we have a question and a comment from Australia. This first one's from Gordon. He said, good day. As much as you always like to discuss wide body domestic, I thought I would throw my predicament out for discussion. I need to travel from Sydney to Auckland in January. And the options are as follows. Quanta 737, Air New Zealand A321neo, Jetstar 320, Latam 787, and Air Asia X 330. And he said, as much as I would prefer a big plane and would like to try Air Asia, both of the wide body flights are only once a day. So if there's an issue, options become very limited. Drew, we have our thoughts, but let's go to the listeners first, and then you and I can debate this. We put it out on Twitter. We said, Gordon, one of our listeners, has an Avgeek problem, which flights should he take from Auckland to, or from Sydney to Auckland? The winner at 44% was the Air New Zealand A321neo. Second place was the Latam 787 at 40%. Qantas 737, 12%. And then the Air Asia X A330 was 4%. I had to leave out because you only, you only have four maximum choices. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Jetstar. I had to leave out the Jetstar 320. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, didn't think he, I didn't think anyone would choose that anyway. <laughs> no we, fair got, narrow body. we got some comments. Our buddy Steve Tao said, Sydney to Auckland is long enough to want to fly a wide body, but if the Air New Zealand seat is good, I'd take the Neo, all things being equal. But as a one world emerald, he's taking the Qantas 737. I, I was going to bring that up that if if you have any sort of loyalty to a specific program, that might, as much as we want to choose for AvGeek things, yeah. that might lead to making a decision for you. Well, Tyler put us on the spot. He said, "You guys love to preach about wide bodies, but one free cocktail at a lounge, and you guys are out. Right? <laughs> We're flying a 737 because we can use the lounge." <laughs> Well, it, it, Gordon Gordon is Australian. What I would say, and, and we'll, we'll go back to the listener comments here in a sec, but what I would say is if you're going so somewhere international, to me, it's always fun to fly on the airline of that country. Meaning if you're going to Auckland in New Zealand, fly Air New Zealand. I understand it's not a wide body and Tyler is going to get on our case for that. But <laughs> if you're going to New Zealand, fly the Air New Zealand A321neo because that way you start the trip, you start the experience by experiencing mm -hmm. that country's national carrier. Oh, yeah. No, it's awesome. Like when I go to Sri Lanka, I love to fly Sri Lankan Airlines. Exactly. As soon as I board that plane in London Heathrow or India or wherever, I feel like I'm in Sri Lanka already. It's mm -hmm. cool. Yeah. And you start and, getting assimilated with that culture and the food and stuff. Yeah. And, and Drew, our flight to London... Mm -hmm. I, I was standing at the front thanking passengers as they were getting off. The, the The airplane was almost totally full, like almost every seat. It was it was a bunch of holiday makers heading home from vacation in the U.S. I'd say at least 75, 80 percent of the people I talked to were all English. It was English so people not flying British Airways. They, they're flying so a, a U.S. airline. 
Yeah, because when I go to Sri Lanka and I tell them I fly Sri Lankan Airlines, they're like, oh, that's great. They don't fly that. <laughs> because when they're traveling, they want something new and different. Mm-hmm. So they're flying Singapore or one of these Middle East carriers. So we have another listener who said, um, of course, the AvGeek, the AvGeek can go for, for Sydney to Auckland via Melbourne or even Wellington for an extra landing or takeoff. Wellington is often exciting with the windy water approaches. That's what I would do. Yeah. I would definitely get an extra stop in there. Well, that was from Richard at Qantas Flyer 002. He didn't actually give an answer. He, he went on this AvGeek tangent about multiple landings. His mm-hmm. handle has Qantas in it, and he didn't he didn't say what airplane he voted for. Okay, I, so I have a yeah, we called he, you out. Yeah, he was probably like Steve, because he's Qantas, he'll take the 737. He's probably a Qantas Flyer, as probably, he says, but yeah. he's trying to be... Nonpartisan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then our buddy Ryan said, does airline loyalty come into play for this situation, as in club access or priority upgrades at all? My vote was Air New Zealand based on the service. And I've heard that they provide is great, plus backup flights if something goes askew. Yeah, that's a great great com- or great point there about the backup flights. Chris in New Zealand, he's uh, at NZ underscore CJ, C-E-E-J-A-Y, said, if you fly Air New Zealand and there are delays or cancellations, there are more options to get you to New Zealand and then on to uh, Auckland via their domestic network. What are you choosing? Well, what, what about this? We don't know if he's mm-hmm. going for vacation or, or business. We don't. What we if don't. On, on the way over, we, we mentioned how it's always fun to fly the airline for the country that you're going to. Mm-hmm. On the way over, fly Air New Zealand because that gives you the options. If your flight cancels, you can fly multiple different flights. On the yeah. way home, because you're, you've already done your business meeting, you've already done your vacation. If you can, if you can, I guess, stomach the possibility of not getting home on the day that you're trying, if one of these off flights happens to cancel, then take one of these fun flights that you're looking at on the way home. Once you've right. already done that that thing in New Zealand, yeah, because you don't have a time crunch. Exactly. Yeah, maybe take take one of the network carriers you know in the area, Qantas or New Zealand, going and take LATAM. Take the Latam 787 or the Air Asia A330 coming back. My vote is yeah. Latam 787 because yeah, because be it is that is such a, a strange route to be able to book to yeah, fly so a South American from carrier from Auckland to or from Sydney to Auckland or vice versa. That would 100% be my option is Latam 787. Well, yeah, and also I don't know if Gordon flies business or economy. If you are flying economy. Check how much an upgrade to business is. You'd be surprised on these fifth freedom routes on that second leg, which is in neither location is in their country. It's usually pretty cheap. Because mm-hmm. the they're just trying to fill the, fill the cabin. Exactly. What would you do? The Latam 787. You do the Latam 787? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would do that at least one direction. I would do Air New Zealand probably and use their clubs leaving and going to... New Zealand. Those are all valid points. Well, let's stay in Australia for our next comment. A couple shows ago, Airport Ops Supervisor Francis explained airport runway and taxiway signs. We were sure at least one of you was on a plane listening and noticing the signs. We wanted your comments. Hopefully, if, if you were listening while flying. And sure enough, there was at least one. I'm sure there's more. Our listener, Dan, who is in Australia, he was on a flight from Gold Coast to Adelaide, and he sent the, sent us this tweet. He said, I listened to this episode on a flight yesterday from OOL, which is Gold Coast, to ADL, which is Adelaide, South Australia. He was interested to look at the signs upon landing at Adelaide. He said uh, his seat number, his seat neighbor was so confused as to why I was taking photos of an empty field. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, we, we, we will make you look like an idiot, but it's for a good cause. And we learn a lot. And, you know, that episode, I, I learned a lot because even being an airport ops manager, 
I'm not driving around the taxiways like airport ops. I don't really spend a lot of time. But what are these? I'm going to ask you, Doug, these signs. So the first sign he's showing us, they're yellow signs in Adelaide. And one has an arrow and it says A6. And the one right next to it says D1 with another arrow sign in the other direction. Mm -hmm. What do those mean? It's a yellow sign with black lettering. It's not a black sign with yellow lettering. And the arrows are saying you are coming up on those two taxiways in whatever direction the arrow is pointing, meaning that whatever taxiway he's on, this sign is saying just ahead, you have these two taxiways if you turn in the direction of the arrow. And the second picture he's uh, sending us has F3 in yellow letters with a black background and with a red background, 12-30. When it's black with yellow letters, that means you are on that runway or on that taxiway. So this would say... He's on the Foxtrot 3 taxiway, and he's at the intersection of runway 1230. You know, you had a good way of looking at it. When you see the red and white, think stop sign. Mm -hmm. So that's telling the crew, hey, stop, you're at the intersection of a runway, so you probably need to ask for clearance. Don't don't cross or take the runway until you get the clearance. Well, Dan, thank you for sending us that, and don't apologize or don't listen to what what your neighbor on the the flight was saying. We're we're happy that you you threw all inhibitions to the wind, didn't care what people were judging you for, and you took these photos. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and for all of our listeners, you know, when you're traveling, take a picture of a sign, and I, I responded to his tweet with a picture of uh, Adelaide Airport and the the chart of the airport with arrows pointing to exactly where, where you, he took those where pictures. He was. Like, this <laughs> yeah. is where you were. <laughs> if you uh, want us to do that for you, just take a picture and just tell us the airport and we will tell you exactly where you are. What can we tell people to take photos of from this episode? Take a picture when you land. Take a picture of the runway sign so that we can see which runway you're on. How about that? Or do you want do you want something more complicated? Is that too easy? No, that's good. I, I was also thinking possibly high-wing airplanes or low-wing airplanes because we, oh, we talked about that. Maybe take a picture of a high-wing airplane because those are becoming more and more rare. Or, <laughs> well, it's not a not a photo, but we did mm-hmm. the, or you did the research here on, on Flight 1s, historical mm-hmm. Flight 1s and current Flight 1s. If, if you're anyone, on a Flight 1. If you're on a Flight 1, post a photo of it. But also, if you know of other Flight 1s that we didn't mention, point those out to right us as now. well. Yeah, so they're all connected. We love listener feedback. We love having the listeners go on these wild goose chases and, and playing these games. So that, that'll be a lot of fun. But they didn't do the research for us on low wing because we specifically asked them. It's like, all right, <laughs> it's good you had your mission. They said that, we had, they were probably thinking, yeah, that's that's too much. I take that back because Greg, who's a listener and a contributor, he did send us a couple of our bullet points. So thank you, Greg. To our listeners, this, is, this podcast is your show. So go on our website, nextripnetwork.com and let us know what's on your mind so we can talk about it or give us your feedback. You can also follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Next Trip Podcast. Please tell your friends about us so we can reach more people who love aviation and travel. Thanks to all of our listeners for your support and for joining the conversation. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, stay aviation tough. This has been the Next Trip Podcast. Visit nexttripnetwork.com for information about previous episodes, trip reviews, aviation photos, and other aviation-related content. This is your show, so search for The Next Trip on Twitter and let Doug and Drew know what you want to talk about. Not on Twitter? You can also email them at nexttrip.podcast at gmail.com. Please consider leaving a review wherever you download your podcasts. It will help other listeners like you discover this show. 